What we need to do today, in my opinion, is we need to recognize that, yes, there's a lion out there, but it's six miles away. And so we should be aware of the coronavirus. We should be aware of the economic realities that are taking place around us. But we should not be allowing ourselves to be adrenalized about that because then we're going to make dumb decisions. We're not going to be smart. We're not going to have logic. We're not going to have empathy. We're not going to care about people. And our intelligence is measurably affected by that. So mindfulness, deep breathing, mental focus, cleansing the brain of all that toxic thought is so important at the moment, if only to help your immune system operate at its best. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Here on this podcast, especially in 2020, can you recall the phrase, hold the vision, not the circumstance? Now, this powerful statement by Mary Morrissey has completely changed my life, especially when I'm stepping into something bigger than myself or I feel like nothing is going as planned. And right now feels exactly like nothing is going as planned. How about you? Let me guess, I bet you had a vision or a goal or a dream for 2020, like traveling more or spending more time with family or taking your business or your career to the next level. And now circumstances feel like nothing you had imagined. As of today, I was supposed to be flying into Rome, Italy for a month where I was gonna kick off a European speaking tour in four different countries. I was gonna spend a week and a half in Positano. And I had been dreaming of speaking internationally in multiple countries for years. And then everything like that was canceled back in March. I have a feeling a lot of trips, events, and celebrations were canceled in your life too. Now, one of our employees is gonna be the first person to graduate from college in her family. And now she won't even have an official graduation. And I know that there are so many seniors and so many people from college graduating without that official recognition, that official celebration, and it breaks my heart. And yet, as I remind myself every single day, it's about holding the vision, not the circumstance. And one of the best ways that we can keep our vision, our dreams, or our goals top of mind is through mindfulness and mindset. Mindfulness and mindset are key to activating any vision we hold for ourselves, including healing miracles, which many of us are working towards right now, even if they feel like they've been put on pause. Maybe you have been trying to get pregnant, or maybe you're trying to get your autoimmune condition into remission. No matter what your journey, having a vision for how you want to feel a year from now is powerful and it can be the guiding light when you need it most. One of the ways that I use mindfulness and mindset is each and every day with meditation and journaling. It's a part of my morning ritual because now more than ever, I feel like these are the anchor that's gonna get me to where I wanna go. Now, I know I've mentioned my favorite journal here on the podcast, but I thought I would share it again since it goes with me everywhere and I fill it out every single day. I've been doing that for over 11 years now and it's called the Speed Dial the Universe Journal. And it's here with me literally next to this seat as I'm recording this and as I'm finally finishing my manuscript after 10 plus months of diligently writing every single day. 
This book is my greatest work today. It's definitely been one of the biggest passion projects I've ever taken on. And there were moments when I was in the middle of this manuscript that I thought I was never gonna get this book done. And it's finally done and ready to be submitted to Penguin Random House. Let me tell you, I definitely have a vision for what my book is gonna look like, it's gonna feel like, and it's gonna how it's gonna be released into the world in 2020. Now my journal and prayer are two tools that I use to attract my vision into my life because it's a daily practice and it sets the tone for mindset and behaviors to launch me towards my dreams. Now, if you don't have a daily practice yet, I think right now is such a great time to bring one on. And we're gonna be talking about this in this episode today. Now, if you are interested in checking out the journal that I use every single day, I have a link for Speed Dial the Universe Journal in the show notes for episode 190. I can't believe today is episode 190. That is so, so cool. We're just gonna keep, keep getting these episodes out there to you. And we're gonna be speaking all about meditation, mindfulness, self-care, and ways in which that you can love upon your body, set your goals, set your dreams, while still taking care of all the other things that you've gotta handle. Now, before I bring on Eric, who is my guest for today, to share experiences about mindfulness, meditation, and self-care, I wanna first sing his praises. Eric Edmendes is an internationally recognized business speaker and serial entrepreneur. He has owned businesses in a variety of industries, including mobile computing, medical simulation, reality gaming, 3D camera engineering, and Hollywood special effects, where he's had the privilege of working on big blasters like Avatar, Pirates of the Caribbean, Transformers, and Iron Man. After spending the earlier part of his life struggling with illness, he became fascinated with the food's role to achieve true health. He waded through stacks of nutritional data and functional information and has dedicated many of his years to analyzing and testing his theories. Ultimately, he created a program called Wild Fit through his mission to help people understand their relationships with food and create true food freedom. He also is a big advocate of meditation, mindfulness, and self-care, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So let's welcome Eric onto the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Eric, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, thank you. Oh, I'm so happy to have you on, and we are gonna be talking about really important, why mindfulness is so necessary right now. I would say it's almost a non-negotiable at this point in what we're dealing with. And before we get into this, I would love to just have you share your story and really your defining moment. I know that you are a serial entrepreneur, you're a dad, you wear a lot of hats. And a lot of what you advocate is how we can create a life of having freedom, of being able to take spend time with our family. What was that defining moment for you when you really Realize as you're juggling all these things that mindfulness and self-care was so critical to that to that whole lifestyle. You know, I, I think um, there's been so many of them because I think what happens for a lot of people, it certainly happened for me, is you kind of get to a place where you go, oh, okay, mindfulness is really important. And then everything smooths out in your life. And then stuff happens. You go, oh my God, mindfulness is really important. And so I've had a few of those moments where I've kind of fallen off the mindfulness bandwagon and then had to be woken up. And one of them was a classic example of I had a business that was doing okay. It was, it was doing all right, but we started to experience some cash flow problems. I came to my office one day and our controller said to me, we have serious problems. We don't have any cash and we're not going to be able to make payroll and there's nothing we can do about it. We're tapped out. 
overdrawn, it's over. And I was like, oh my God, like what happened? We were doing quite well. We were growing and, 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 and I started to, you know, freak out. And I remember that morning, I, I, the next morning I woke up and I felt anxious, obviously, and stressed. And I was sitting there going like, what do I do now? And of course my mind started going to, well, my ego started trying to protect me. My ego started going, well, how are you going to explain how you went bankrupt? How are you going to explain how you failed? You know, I had, I had left my previous employer because frankly, he was not a very nice guy. And I knew that he would love for me to fail. And I hated the idea of that. And I was going through all this ego stuff and it was really painful. And then Marisa, I decided what I wanted was a breakdown. I wanted a nervous breakdown. I was absolutely clear that I wanted a nervous breakdown because that way I'd have an excuse, but I, I couldn't get there. I didn't know how to do one. I didn't, I couldn't, like, <laughs> it wouldn't happen. I was like, and, and so I, I, I did the next best thing. And that was, I, I decided to go back to something I had dropped. And that was, I decided to read and I decided to put good information into my head. And I remember so distinctly, I was reading this book and it was by Wayne Dyer. It was, there's a spiritual so solution to every problem. And I frankly picked up the book and I thought, yeah, try my problem, spiritual solution, you know, whatever. So that morning I went back to my practice of meditating and I went to my office that day and I enjoyed myself. It was the weirdest thing. It was like, I'm in this super slow motion car accident and yet I'm looking out and I'm seeing the cars and the trees and, the, and I'm just, I know I'm probably going out of business, but I'm just, I walk in, I was cheerful with people, I was friendly, I sat at my desk, I did my work, I, I tried to find solutions. And no kidding, the next morning, the weirdest thing happened. And that was that one of our biggest customers, a retail company, and now retail companies are not known for being incredibly generous, they're on very tight margins. A retail company had a contract with us and they prepaid their entire year contract, even though we were on quarterly terms with them. Mm. And suddenly we had the money to make payroll and everything changed. Everything changed. And I suddenly realized, okay, we can ask the question. We can get into the whole esoteric thing. We can talk about the movie, The Secret. We can say, did my meditating make that payment? Did I attract that money? Whatever. That's a metaphysical question. We can answer that another day. We can light some incense and hold crystals and talk about it. But what I do know is that let's imagine that solution was coming anyway. Then all the suffering I would have done beforehand would have been pointless. And so I, that more and more when I've had these reset moments, it's reminded me that my happiness is an inside job and my happiness and my, my sense of calm is created by me, not by external circumstances. And that, that was maybe one of the biggest aha moments for me about maintaining mindfulness in the eye of the storm. Hmm. There's so much clarity in that and being able to just take that moment and be able to go back and realize how you were able to create calm. And I have a feeling that in that moment, I know that you had you been meditating every single day at that point or from that point on, or did you at least realize that if you can create, you can calm that stress response system, that it can lead to more creative ideas or more creative solutions? Like kind of what, besides understanding that mindfulness was a key component there, did you take action on that moving forward? So I kind of look at meditation like, say, massage. There's two different reasons you might go for massage. One is because you've got an acute problem right now, and your neck is sore or your back is sore, and so you go for a massage to solve the problem you have right there. But then you begin to realize it's entirely possible that if you've been having therapeutic massage the entire time, you might not have developed the neck problem in the first place, and that's the second level. 
I am incredibly good at um, reminding myself to go and get therapeutic healing from meditation when there's something in my face. And then what happens for me is that the more my life falls into alignment with my expectations, right? When I'm, I'm feeling everything's easy, I'm less inclined to meditate. And then I drift off course a little bit. So when events like that come up, I'm very good at remembering that now it's time to be introspective. And then I'll get into a regular routine of it. So I, I obviously with what's been going on around the world and what I'm trying to do to support people and so on, I've really devoted a lot of time to various forms of mindfulness from meditation to visualization to you know guided walks where I'm focus on a particular thought. And I am amazed at the calm that that creates for me. And I, and I posted something really silly and irreverent on Facebook the other day, but I said, cause I, I kept on interviewing people and every one of them saying, well, we got to meditate during this time. And of course I'm saying the same thing. And, and then I realized like, man, if anybody's listening to my show, they're probably getting tired of being told to meditate. And so I wrote this, like, you know, the next time somebody tells me to meditate, I'm going to meditate. And, and, and then I added on Instagram, I added this little thing that said, one thing I've noticed about myself is the more I need to meditate, the less I want to. And the more I don't need to, the more I want to. So the more I don't want to meditate, the more I must. And if I want to, I should do it anyway. And so, you know, that's the big reminder for me is that, yes, it can be there as a cure. It can be there as a treatment. But as always, an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. And so having a little bit of that um, introspective, meditative, mindfulness time every single day for me is just a must. And Eric, how much time are you spending? Like, what is, is it 20 minutes? Is it a half hour? Like in terms of, you know, I, I know people are listening right now and they've got their homeschooling, their kids, they're feeling stretched in a lot of ways. And they're thinking to themselves, like, this is, this is new ground. Friends and family of mine have been telling me to meditate forever, but I just haven't done it because I don't know how to do it. I think I'm going to suck at it. What is a good amount of time to kind of start? Um, I think I can answer this two different ways. The one is, I think that once you've got a little bit of mental discipline and some practice, then the minimum time for me is five minutes. And, and this is why I say that. There are certain areas of life where we can work on this concept of minimum effective dosage. We can do a minimum amount to get started. So somebody who wants to get into like jogging or running somebody might say, well, just go out and run for like five minutes and then do that every day. And then maybe the habit will take shape. And I will say that will not work. And the reason is, is that the first five minutes of running is awful. They're the worst. It is the worst part of running. <laughs> That's right. You can't even begin to enjoy running until you get to the 10th or 12th minute. I mean, I mean, some people probably can, but for me, that first five minutes is tough. So if I do minimum five minutes every day, I'm doing a hateful thing 100% of the time. But if I do 10 minutes, I'm doing a hateful thing for 50% of the time. And the final 50% was great. If I do 15 minutes, it's now 30 and 60. And, and so with meditation, my feeling is this. It's the first minute to 90 seconds that sucks. Like that's the truth of it. It's that first minute to 90 seconds, like, oh, I have other things I could do. And what's going on in Instagram? Why, you, know, you know, whatever, right? But there's something that happens once you've got a bit of a practice in place that five minutes of really good, solid, quiet time, your brain does start the cleansing process and you do start to feel calm. Then you have kind of achieved this minimum effective dose. Now, I say that, I think there are some people that haven't had a background at all in meditating. I've been effective, I mean, I shouldn't say I've been effectively meditating. I, effectively, I've been meditating since I was about 12. I can't say it was all effective, but, but in, in true terms, I've been doing that. So what I have noticed is this. I went and did a Joe Dispenza workshop back in early December. 
you know, he's heavily into meditation, obviously. And one of the meditations we did, which I think we did three times, was five hours. It was a five-hour meditation. It was incredible. And what I have found since doing those five-hour meditations is that now my five-minute meditations are infinitely more powerful. And so if somebody's saying, well, look, I'm homeschooling my kids. I got to cook. I got to do this. I got to do that. Then they need to get to the place where they can do five-minute meditations. They're going to need to do that. But I think that what they could do is somehow score themselves an hour and a half and, and, and download one of the programs they could, I, I'll bet you could help them. I know that, you know, Emily Fletcher from Ziva can help them. I mean, the Calm app can help them. There's so many places to learn about this, but if they could even one time experience a serious hour and a half, then I think that for the rest of the week or the rest of that month, they'll get a lot more power out of minimum effective dosing in the five to seven minute range. And if they can do 20 minutes, all the better. Mm. I love that. Yeah. My standard on average is tw- I do 20 to 25 minutes a day, but on the weekends, it's in a more extended. I'm, I'm actually doing two of Joe Dispenza's programs right now. And so some of them are definitely on the longer side, but like his morning and evening are like 20 minutes a pop. So yeah, just, and I mean, there's a lot of different ways to start a lot of different areas in which everyone's jumping in. But for the most part, I find, you know, I've talked to a lot of my, my audience, my community people, this is something that they've been wanting to do what they haven't done. I think right now is such a critical time and I wanted to, to just kind of dive into the right now, because one of the things that I, I got an opportunity to come onto your show, is, and we're going to kind of flip the script here, is that we know that a lack of mindfulness, we know that a lack of, of having some tools in your toolbox to manage stress, to manage anxiety, to manage panic, has some detrimental impact on our body in terms of our immune system, our digestive system, really a lot of the systems. So can you talk to me a little bit about how stress and fear are impacting our bodies. Why is mindfulness, why is self-care, five-minute meditation so non-negotiable right now, given the state that we're in? So there's a principle that I've been writing about and speaking about for some time called uh, the evolution gap. And the evolution gap is uh, a theory of mine, and it basically works like this, that organisms evolve pretty much in lockstep with the environmental conditions they're dealing with. And so what happened in our case is about 30 some odd thousand years ago, we developed a different type of evolution, an intellectual evolution, where we started being able to share ideas with each other. And as a consequence, we started making changes to our day-to-day lifestyle, to our, to our social constructs, to our food manufacturing or production even at that stage. We, we changed things and we started opening up a pace of change that was faster than our biological evolution could keep up with or even our psychological evolution. So what that means is that we effectively have, in my opinion, hunter-gatherer, you know, survivalist bodies from from sub-Saharan Africa. And now we live in big cities and we have agriculture and we've got food storage and we've got all, and we don't, we have cars and all this kind of stuff. And that opens a gap. So that gap influences us in a lot of different ways, but specific to your question, it influences us like this. Our adrenal system, was designed for a life that was inherently dangerous. Our life was inherently dangerous. Just five, six weeks ago, I, was spent, I spent two weeks with the Hadza Bush people, the Hadza, uh, the Hadza people of East Africa. They are pretty much Stone Age hunter-gatherer people that don't have homes, that don't farm, that don't have money, that move with the, with the herds and move with the water. And I can tell you, you spend two weeks with them, you face danger pretty much every day in some form. And, and of course, we don't. We live in the safest times in the history of times. Now, we don't believe that. We don't know it on an individual basis because, you know, we don't experience life the way it was before. And our life feels very dangerous. But even now, even under pandemic, 
our life is still safer today than any of our ancestors ever enjoyed before. And yet our instincts don't know that. So as a really good example that I often use is that, you know, we, we, we could be in a situation where we're in sub-Saharan Africa, we stumble upon like a lion, you know, we have a lion right there in front of us. And what happens at that point is our body says, holy crap, there's a lion there. And now that becomes the most urgent thing in the world. Nothing else matters in this moment except getting us and whoever we're with safe, like nothing else matters. In that moment, our intelligence is measurably reduced. Mm-hmm. Our connection with logic becomes simplified. We just, we, we go, and complex logic is gone. We are on simple logic now. And even our connection to empathy is broken when we're adrenalized like that. Because everything that we're supposed to be doing in that moment is about adrenaline and energy to fight, to run, or to freeze and just hold. And, and so we're not meant to be conscious so much in that moment. Our body is taking over. We're not mindful in that moment. We're bodyful. We're like stuck in the place of the body's taken over and it's acting. Now, the other thing I think that happens at that point, and it's so crucial to, to your question and to what's going on today, is that your immune system is there to protect you against pathogens like you know viruses, bacteria, germs, and so forth. And according to the germ theory of the disease, that's what our immune system is for. It's like we're being attacked by these microorganisms and our immune system is there to defend against those things. In the moment that the lion is there, that's the least of our concerns. No, yeah. Whatever pathogens, peace yeah. out. Yeah. Forget the pathogens. This lion has teeth and they're big. Yeah, it's, it's, it's survival mode. <laughs> exactly. And so as we create all this adrenaline, it's, it's very much, I think what happens at that point very much is the body's like, okay, divert power from the immune system to the feet so we can get the hell out of here. You know, it's like, it's a a redirection of the body's focus at that moment. And the immune system isn't the most important thing. And so we, we, we go through that moment and then we're supposed to get to the other side. Like we've escaped or we've killed a lion or we survived. And then we go back to camp and you might say to me, you might come up and go, Eric, what happened with the lion? And you're going to go, oh yeah, I saw a lion. It was terrifying. I'm still shaken from it. But a month later you might go, hey, remember that lion? Yeah. Are you still bothered by it? No, I'm not. That was, that was a month ago. That was like why, why five lions ago. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Which lion even are you talking about? Like, w- you mean you're not sitting on a couch talking to your therapist for a month about the lion or two years? It, it's a different, it's a different, but in the meantime, what we do is we go home and we complain about the lion and we, and we get significance out of being the person who was attacked by the lion. We get significance out of the event and we talk about it and, and we internalize it and we don't cleanse out the trauma of it. And so our immune system continually gets bombarded by this lion that doesn't even exist anymore. What we need to do today, in my opinion, is we need to recognize that, yes, there's a lion out there, but it's six miles away. And so we should be aware of the coronavirus. We should be aware of the economic realities that are taking place around us, but we should not be allowing ourselves to be adrenalized about that because then we're going to make dumb decisions. We're not going to be smart. We're not going to have logic. We're not going to have empathy. We're not going to care about people. And our intelligence is measurably affected by that. So mindfulness, deep breathing, mental focus, cleansing the brain of all that toxic thought is so important at the moment, if only to help your immune system operate at its best. Mm. Yeah, I always think about the gazelle, which I'm sure you've seen a lot of gazelles in your time in how, you know, they see that someone sees the lion, right? And they all run like gazelles do. And then once the lion's gone, they go back to just grazing. And, you know, and that's kind of what you're talking about is that evolution of how that was for us. And now there's, we're, we're not gazelles. 
We're not no. anymore. <laughs> and it's even, Marissa, it's even more, you know, I'm telling you, you can be sitting there in a, in a herd of, you know, wildebeests and zebras and everything else. And you know what's crazy is that a hyena or a lion can walk right through the herd and they look up and they kind of get irritated and they look up, but they keep eating. The, the, the lion can be 30 feet away from them. They know the difference between a lion that's stalking them and one that isn't. Hmm. And, and I think that one of the problems we have is we think everything's stalking us all the time. And what we need to recognize is our lion and whether that's the, whether people are concerned about getting sick and let's be clear, most people don't need to be concerned about getting sick. We're, we're now seeing numbers that suggest that 50% of the people that end up contracting the virus don't even experience symptoms at all. And, and, and that the people that are highest at risk are people that were having health challenges to begin with. So most of us shouldn't even be afraid of the virus. What we should be more afraid of is the mental viral fear that's going around. And that's where this conversation I think is so important, the making time for mindfulness and making time for breathing exercises. Yeah, because that the, way we can let the lion walk right by and go, look, it's a lion. I'm not worried about it. It's not stalking me. Yeah. We're, we're just on a safari. <laughs> I mean, I think the prevalence of the anxiety pandemic, you know, is what we're seeing. I, I know a lot of people are listening to this for right now. I'm, I'm, we're, we're on video and behind you are pictures of lions and zebras. And it's so awesome as you're talking about this, Eric, the lions popping up, the zebras popping up. It's super cool. <laughs> but those of you who watch this on YouTube, you'll get to see that in, in all that form. Okay. So here's a scenario. Let's say you're locked down, you're alone, you're separated from family. Are there tips and recommendations you are giving to, to those? Because I know you are locked down alone and separated from family. How are you keeping sane? You know, one of the things that I uh, speak a lot about and write about is um, there, I, I, I believe there are, are, are 14 essential needs of homo sapiens. And if we deal with those needs effectively, then we're really healthy. And some of the needs have immediate consequences. And if we don't deal with them, we die or we get sick immediately. But some of them, the emotional needs are, they're different. And what happens when we don't meet them is that our, our need for them is so strong that subconsciously we'll find a way to meet them. The best way I could describe this is the need for air is so strong that you cannot hold your breath until you die. You just can't. You, you can try, somebody, but if, if, if people could do that, that people could commit suicide like that all the time, I'm done. I'm done with this. <gasps> in fact, not even in. <sighs> Blow it out and hold. No, that autonomic can't. nervous system will not allow for that. Exactly. And so we are the same with our emotions. So, you know, the fundamental need for connection and the fundamental need for social significance, those needs are so strong and so powerful that if you don't meet them functionally, that your subconscious mind will kick in and meet them dysfunctionally. And so I think for people, particularly like me that are in lockdown and isolation, we have to recognize that social connection is incredibly important. We, we are apparently being locked up in, in isolation. Now, of course, I can't compare this with being in isolation in a prison, but being locked up in isolation away from other humans is as dangerous as smoking half a pack of cigarettes a day. So I need to look at the fact that, you know, my not having people physically around me so much, what I need to do is figure out how can I meet those needs in the most functional ways possible? And so what am I doing? Well, one of the things I decided to do is create my Thrive Time show because I get to connect with all my friends and meet new friends from around the world and I get to have a real sense of connection with them. Um, I'm also having some of the best phone calls on, in the world right now with, with, deep, with friends of mine, some of, whom, some of whom I hadn't seen for years, some of whom I speak to regularly, but now I'm going deeper. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that 
are, it is really important that we look at our fundamental needs as humans and we find ways of satisfying them, even though our old ways might be gone. And so our old way of connection might be to go and have a meal with somebody. Okay, well, we can't exactly do that anymore. Only, you know what? A friend of mine sent me the cutest picture the other day. She's sitting having a meal and she's got the table laid out beautifully. She's done the whole thing, right? Like, it's not like I, I cook and go sit on the couch and no way. She's got the thing laid out, the cutlery's down, candle on the table, flowers over here. And then the big screen TV with all her friends with their meals lined up like that. And they're all having a meal together. And you know what? How cool is that? So and so cool. I think that's where we really have to take a look at. And, and by the way, for the people who aren't, I, I know, I know there's some people watching going, if only, if only I was locked up alone right now. <laughs> so I know, I know. I keep joking about that one video we've all seen with the guy. It's like, you have to go into lockdown. Do you choose A, being locked up with your wife and children or B? I choose B, B, B. Here's what I want to say to you that you guys are feeling that way in close proximity like that. You know, there's this old expression that proximity kind of breeds contempt when, you know, when, you're, when you're too close too long. But I just want you to know right now that the things that are irritating you now would leave a deafening silence in your life if they were gone. The very things that you find irritating right now, you should be grateful for because being alone for this many weeks in a row, and bear in mind, our government here, I think that we're talking about till May 31st. So I'm talking about another month and a half of, of alone. And so the very things that are irritating you now, you should be grateful for them because if they were gone, you would miss them. And so with that in mind, I think it's really important that people find ways to satisfy their needs in the house when they've got their people around. And one of the things I've been telling people is like, if, if you're lucky enough that there's a husband and wife or your partners in the house, I think every one of you, you should make a deal that, that everybody gets two or three hours every few days on their own. Everybody gets to have their day. And, and even within the house, like, you know, some people are really noise centric, like they just don't like noise at all. And other people, it's not a thing for them. And the people who don't, are, who aren't irritated by noise, like my dad is irritated by noise. He's one of those, like, you could be on a road trip and there's a Coke bottle. I don't know why there'd be a Coke bottle. I just having a childhood memory, but you know, there'd be a Coke bottle that's in the back and it's rolling. And every now and again, it clinks against something. He would have to pull over the car and like, he's so, but but let's say he was on, on lockdown with somebody who doesn't have that issue with noise. They might be doing stuff and pottering and the noise might be driving him absolutely crazy. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody were to walk up and go, you know what, what, what do you need right now? For the next three hours, if it could be the way you want, what would it be? Silence? Great. Okay, kids, talk to dad. I've talked to dad and he just needs a little silence right now. Can we all agree that for the next three hours, we're going to have total silence? And I think if we all thought like that more, we could really help each other to satisfy our needs and reduce our irritants. And we could get through this, not simply coping with it, but actually getting to a place where we were stronger and healthier and happier after this was because of this. Hmm. I agree. Absolutely. That, you know, having, I mean, especially if you have a partner in the house, definitely divide and conquer. And then if you don't just having that conversation with your family about the kind of that space that you need, and you're absolutely right that, you know, it's, 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 I know to be in it feels like you're in it, but could you even imagine if you didn't even get that? I know, Eric, you're coming from a place of being away from your family for, you know, uh, over well over two months by the time it's done with. And so I really appreciate your perspective. Now you mentioned Coca-Cola and I'll be honest with you. I'm like your dad. If there's 
there's a bottle rolling, like a, it's usually a, a clean canteen or a water bottle in the back of my car and it's rolling back and forth, I will definitely pull the car over and deal with that. But let's just talk about, we, you know, you segued into Coca-Cola, something that you and I have not had. And who knows? I know I can speak to it's been 20 years for me. I'm not sure how long it's been for you. But food is important right now. How we nourish our bodies, how we take care of our bodies. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm surprised. I've been surprised at how much produce is still in the grocery stores. So can you speak to me? This is an area of passion for me. What, you know, what we should be thinking about when it comes to nourishing our bodies, how do we set ourselves up for success in terms of our immune system, but also in, in terms of our emotional well-being? I think that it can be like a kind of a, a spiral where we're emotional eating and then because we're not eating well, we're emotional eating, you know, it just kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. So talk to me about some of the, the recommendations you have for how we should be taking care of our body right now. Sure. So let's think of it like this. If we have a car and we want to take really good care of the car. What does it need? Well, it needs to not experience trauma. That's kind of obvious. But it also needs to move, and it needs certain nutrients. It needs energy nutrients, which we call gasoline or diesel, and it needs non-energy nutrients, like lubricants and oils and water and stuff like that. And if we take care of all those things, if we take care of all those things, then that car is going to last better than if you just let it sit in the garage, right? We're kind of like that, only we're even better because cars are not regenerative, regenerative machines. They don't, they don't get stronger when you use them. We do. And so for us, what we talk about is in all the human needs, there are seven of them that are physical, physical needs that our, our bodies have. And if we satisfy those physical needs, then our bodies are much better suited to recovering from injury or disease, fighting off disease, and dealing with life in general terms and having lots of energy and so on. Rapidly, they're in order, as we mentioned, there's air. And, and it's not just that you breathe. It's that you breathe good quality air and you breathe deeply in a way that calms your nervous system. Then there's water. And it's not simply a matter of drinking liquid things because Coca-Cola, for example, is not water. In fact, I divorced Coca-Cola in uh, 1988. I had my last ever Coca-Cola in 1988 and I was sick for two weeks with withdrawal symptoms from it. It was awful. And so what I want to be clear about is when I say water, I mean water. I don't Real mean- water. I mean, water. water. Yeah. And, and in case people are all concerned about their Kangen water, or their pH water and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Water. Your body has its own acidity regulating system. You don't, need to acidity, you don't need to regulate the acidity of your water. Obviously, you don't want water that's unnaturally acidic. But I think what you do want, best case scenario, if you, if you can get it, is mineral water, natural glacial runoff or spring water, just the way your body evolved. Next thing after water is sleep. And these are listed in urgency. What I mean by is obviously air, you have minutes. Water, you've got days. Sleep, you've got a few more days. You've got to get sleep. Like it's really important that people are sleeping in a dark room, cooling the room a little bit, turning off their electronic devices about two hours before they go to bed, you know, really taking care of sleep because sleep is fundamental to healthy thinking and a powerful immune system. So you've got to be sleeping. Then we talk about energy. The next need is for energy. And this is not something most people are lacking in. They have more energy than they could possibly deal with. Their body's just not very good at it. What I mean is that most people eat too much food energy. They get cheap carbs. In fact, you really don't want to be living on blood sugar. You want to be learning on fat burning. And so if you eat a lot of carbs, you're going to be burning sugar as a primary fuel source. And the way that kind of works is you only have about 2,000 calories of blood sugar. So when you run out of it, you 
might crash. And that's where we get the whole, you know, when people get hangry and, and by the way, when you crash, not only can people get hangry, but their immune system can drop down. Cause think about this. Anybody who's ever experienced that brain fog at four o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the afternoon, they experience the brain fog. Think about how enervated you have to be that your brain is not functioning correctly. And if your brain's not functioning correctly, is your immune system functioning correctly? Probably not. So, so energy is really important. And so what that means is we need to get the best possible quality energy. And in the best possible quality is healthy fats, obviously not trans fats, obviously not super cooked and heated fats, but healthy fats. When we've taken care of that, Amen. the next one is movement and movement is unbelievably important. Again, I'm doing this in order of urgency. If you go a few days, if you go a few days without movement, it's one thing, but you start getting out to a week or two. That's why when people go to the hospital, if they're in the hospital for long-term, people move their legs for them. They get them moving around so they don't end up with bed sores. One of the issues here is that your muscles and your bones require movement, impact, and resistance in order to strengthen. If you don't give that to them, they will atrophy. Your body will go, oh, we don't need these bones. We don't need this muscle. So in order to get them to just preserve their current strength and their current density, you need to use them. And if you want to get them to grow, you need to stress them a little. So it's really important that we move, but that's not the biggest reason. And that's not a good enough reason for most people. Here's the really, like, the really big reason is that our lymphatic system doesn't have a pump. And, and so, and our lymphatic system is responsible for cleansing the body, for cleansing the cells, for keeping you clean and getting the toxins out, right? So, and it doesn't have a pump like the blood or the air systems have pumps. So the only way lymph moves is when we move. If we don't move, we don't move lymph. If we don't move lymph, we develop toxins and, and we build up toxins and we get sick. So we got to be moving, moving, moving. After movement, we have non-energy nutrition. Actually, Non-energy nutrition is basically the non-energy components of food, vitamins, minerals, and the various, and fiber, and the various things that are in the food that we require that aren't energy-based, and we've got to have those. It's not every day that they have to be perfect, but oh, there's no such thing. The RDA is a ridiculous idea, but it does mean that over the course of a week, and a month, and a year, we want to be eating a wide variety of whole, complete foods that are going to give us the very best nutrients you can, and supplements where your whole, complete foods aren't doing the job. And, and of course, today, I would be a big fan of everybody making sure they're getting good quality vitamin C supplements in at the moment because it seems like a smart thing to do as well as potentially zinc and magnesium and other stuff, non-energy nutrients. And then the final physical need in, in order of, of urgency is sunlight. And I think this is heavily understated. I don't think people understand. I think that we've been a victim of marketing, that the, the sunscreen industry has frightened us about the sun in order to sell their product. I want to be clear, the sun can be dangerous, but so can oxygen. Oxygen can be dangerous. Just oxygen because something kills us over time. Yeah, just because it can be dangerous doesn't mean we want to avoid it entirely. Right. We want to be we have smart to still about breathe. it. <laughs> yeah. And the sun is the same thing. So, you know, the only thing more dangerous, no, just as dangerous as completely hiding from the sun is going and getting yourself burnt in the sun. And so I'm not saying so people should be lying out and tanning. If you burn, you're going to hurt your immune system because you're burnt and it's an injury. But getting 10 or 15 minutes of natural daylight every day is minimum what people should be doing. You need that sunlight. It supports your immune system and it supports vitamin D production. I believe that if we handle those needs, then we are absolutely in the best possible shape to recover from injuries, recover from disease, and even fight disease off. And that's why there are so many people like you. I'll bet you haven't had a flu in years. Years, years yeah. and years. Well, I'll bet the truth is you have had a flu. You just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately the goal here is you want to get to a place where your body is so 
functional that when a disease like the flu or this coronavirus thing attacks you, you don't even know you had it. And then, and look at that. Now you can create the antibodies in the future as well. That's the goal. I love that. That is so powerful. And I love the hierarchy as well of what is important. And I think it's all 100% doable, 100% doable. And I'm so glad you laid it out so beautifully. Now, the million dollar question I have for you is how do you think life is going to be different when this pandemic is all over? And because I, I know that it's not really clear about when it is or so there's a lot of unknowns in that department. It's a tough conversation. Uh, the conspiracy theories are out there. You got this, you know, David Icke um, blowing up YouTube and talking about how 5G created this. I just want to point out 5G is in about eight countries. So the logic doesn't really make sense. But, the, you know, we're in this place right now where there's all this fear about what's coming next. Is this some new world order? Is this, is this the deep state trying to change, you know, the way econ- economies work and all that kind of stuff? And all I want to do is I want to say this. At the end of the day, right now, what, you, what we all need to be taking care of is our own health and our family and our community. And then we can start spreading the circles out beyond. Most people have started with the circles that are too far out. They're worried about the government. They're worried about all that kind of stuff. No, start with you, then your family, then your community, then the larger community. And then you can start worrying about this other stuff. I think we got to begin there. So how do I think life is going to be different? Well, I, I got to tell you, I'd be surprised if the current lockdown situation in most countries doesn't continue for at least another six weeks or so. I think that over the next two weeks, we're going to get a real glimpse into what's really going on in Sweden and where Sweden's trying a completely different approach. And I think that that might be interesting. I think there's going to be some real questions raised about whether or not it's a good idea to be destroying the world economy in order to save a very small percentage of the planet. Now, that sounds like a very cold and calculating thing, but I'm saying that right now we are definitely doing everything we can to flatten the curve and save lives, but there's going to come a point in time where the damage to the economy is actually threatening lives too. And so where is that going to happen? I think that conversation needs to start happening. I think it needs to be a part of what forms what happens in the future. And and I think that um, we will never go back to exactly what was before. And that means that more than ever before, we're going to be responsible for ourselves. We're going to be responsible for our own mental health and our own mindfulness. And we're going to be responsible for our own physical health. And we're also going to be responsible for our own economies. The economy is not dead. It's just different. And, and there are going to be new rules of this new economy. And I'll tell you right now, the billionaires of 10 years from now are starting their businesses today. And that's what happens every time stuff like this happens. Like we're in a place right now where I know that some people are purely in survival mode and they can't even think past the next shopping bill. I get that that's true. I'm also saying that we're in a world now where a new economy is going to get created. And I think that every one of us needs to be looking at this, say six weeks, if I'm halfway correct, as a boot camp for preparing for what's next. So what's next is recession, almost certainly some form of major economic recession. So what does that mean? It means that we want to have the right skills. We want to have the right knowledge. We want to have the right advice. We want to have the right health. We want to have the right mental disciplines to get through that and to thrive through it. You know, one thing that's really important to remember, when when the big real estate, when the big crash happened in 2008, I was in Bali and I was with a friend of mine and we're sitting there and all these people are sitting around drinking little umbrella drinks and I was like, I wonder if the depression was like this. You know that when the depression happened, I'll bet there were people sitting around with umbrella drinks. Like we see the press of the people who are suffering most, but you know what? Not everybody was going through that. And yes, we can get all jaded that it was the rich that did that, but I'm going to say it was also the proactive. Listen, this may sound a little opportunistic, but the best way I can describe this is that many years ago when Katrina happened, 
I saw this story in the leftist press. And by the way, I, that may make me sound like a rightist. I'm not. I'm a centrist. I don't believe that this extreme left or right is helping anybody. But in the leftist press, I saw this article. And it was talking about these two young men who had got a truck full of water and they drove it down to New Orleans and they were selling water to people on the streets. And the way the press covered it was that these two unbelievably disgusting opportunistic scumbags were taking advantage of the situation for their own profit. Only what if they didn't? Only what if they didn't drive the water down there? Like, okay, I was in Indonesia when there was a major earthquake in 2004. And four and a half thousand people were killed in five minutes. And I happened to be in Bali when it happened. And so I rented a truck and I filled it full of food, water, medical supplies. And I drove there. My, I got a guide and a driver and a friend of mine from Australia. And we drove there and we spent days doing relief work, feeding people, doing first aid with people. I mean, it was horrifying what we had to go through there. It was incredible. But I was in the economic position to be able to do that. These two young kids took a look and said, holy crap, there's people down there that need water. They risked their time. They risked their money, they risked their car, and they drove into a disaster area, which is incredibly unsafe. You understand law and order disappears during those times. It's an unsafe place to be. They put themselves at risk and they went down there and they sold water. The only question I would have is, were they being fair about the price? And so I would say that to every one of us right now. If you can help create value for people, if you have assets, information, knowledge, skills, and passion that can create value for people, then be willing to do that because we all need value right now. Powerful. And you're absolutely right. Just in terms of, well, being mindful about how you're offering it or, or the price in which you're offering it. Both of us have lots of incredible friends who provide so much value and they're being so generous with that value as well. But at the end of the day, that expertise, they've spent decades creating that expertise and in being able to present that value to people, I think is, is still, it's the right thing to do. Eric, thank you so much for coming on, bringing your incredible insight. I have enjoyed this interview so much. I know that you've got an interview series going on right now. And I just want to say thank you so much for, for jumping into service and jumping into to showing up. I know that when we show up in service, it definitely can take away from a little bit of the loneliness you're feeling at home right now. Um, contribution so, so incredible in that way. So where can we plug into that? How do we, how do we get to learn about the series that you're doing? Absolutely. Easiest place is to go to www.thrivetime.tv. That'll take you directly to the YouTube channel. Go and subscribe, turn on the notifications. You'll get all the great episodes. Uh, we just today premiered our episode with John Gray from Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, talking about how to manage your relationships under lockdown. We had Dr. Shafali talking about parenting. And what I'm really trying to do is just get people the information, tools, strategies, the knowledge they need to cope with what's going on, to survive it, and ultimately to get to the place where they thrive through it so that they come to the end of this lockdown and go and I'm ready. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Eric. I'll see you soon. Thank you. I hope that today's episode helps you and supports you as you slowly begin to venture outside and resume some level of normality. For many of us, it's going to take weeks, some of us even months before things feel close to normal. I realize that today we're having a different type of conversation than we normally have here, but I find that we are in a different time and these are not normal circumstances. So I hope that the information that was shared today, the remedies, the recommendations, the strategies for helping to support yourself through this time, especially when it comes to mental health, that it helps you not only getting through this time of shelter in place, but moves you forward towards your dreams and your goals. 
Now, if you want to check out the journal, as I mentioned before, it will be in the show notes for episode 190. And I also want to let you know that on Friday coming up, we have another Q&A session and I'm going to be diving into hot flashes and night sweats. Now, if you get them, you know that they are beyond disruptive. So I'm going to be sharing natural solutions and worst case scenarios if you can't seem to get these hot flashes or night sweats under control. So if this is a topic that you are super excited to listen to, I look forward to seeing you there on Friday. And if there's someone in your life who is struggling with night sweats and hot flashes, have them tune in as well because I will be giving you the lowdown on what we can finally do to get these under control. Until then, have an amazing day. I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye.